hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and this is my co-host Morgan for the first time podcasting from Glasgow. Yes, hello. This week, obviously, we are talking about the cutest movie in the world, which is Rogue One, a Star Wars story to give it its full unnecessary title. Um, <laughs> and I think we've kind of come at this from like opposite angles because we both enjoyed the film i think this is like the first time we've reviewed a film that's a blockbuster and i've been slightly less i've been a bit more underwhelmed than morgan because <laughs> i came out of this being like there were definitely aspects of this that i enjoyed but i think there was some bad acting and certainly some bad script writing um whereas morgan was just like i don't care and this is brilliant so it's sort of that, that well, is no, an no. exaggeration <laughs> of my position no, no. but we can get into that <laughs> but it's, i think i think it's like a kind of a mild role reversal of us reviewing Civil War, although I think this is better than Civil War. <laughs> um, but also, like, I'm now kind of thinking that I really am desperate to rewatch Rogue One, which is a weird situation, but I think it's because it's Star Wars, and Star Wars is amazing. So I think we're going to kind of start by talking about the main characters, just as, like, a warning. I think we're foregoing the general spoiler break for this episode because everyone has seen this movie. So warning, we will talk about spoilers throughout this podcast. So Morgan and I... Uh, came into this as very different audiences. I'm quite glad to have Morgan as my test subject because I can't actually imagine going into this movie and not already knowing a fuck ton of information about it. Star Wars kind of works a bit differently in terms of promotion than other franchises because they know that the audience is so interested in really meticulously detailed information. When they're announcing the film, they promote every single character individually, like they're selling Pokemon cards. And they like announce the whole cast and they give them all a little character blurb. So they're like, this is Chirrut Inwe, played by Donnie Yen. He's a blind warrior monk and he believes in the forest and his best friend is Baze Malbus, who protects him with his blaster cannon. When you're watching the film, Morgan is just like, I don't even know what these characters' names are. <laughs> you know, in the promotional materials, they are telling you about, there's like this kind of yeti creature who is like given his own card and like given kind of advertising in Empire Magazine and stuff. That yeti is on screen for like, 10 seconds. I guarantee Morgan does not I have there. no yeah. idea what you're talking yeah. about. There is a yeti among the guerrilla fighters on Jeddah. But I was like, oh, it's the yeti guy. Doesn't come back later. <laughs> so it's like, in my room, I have like a stack of Star Wars encyclopedias. So like, for that reason, and also because I have to for work, I kind of went into this movie knowing who every single character was, whereas Morgan didn't. And the thing that kind of disappointed me slightly is that the character development was so minimal for almost everyone that basically what we got on screen was the same as the one paragraph description they gave us in the marketing materials for like six months. So after watching the film, I can basically not tell you anything new about any of the main characters. Yeah, they're not particularly well-defined people. It's mostly performance, I would say. Yeah. That- either makes them succeed or fail as characters. Mostly they succeed because most of these actors are very talented and do a really good job. Although not always, unfortunately. Um, Felicity Jones plays Jin, who is the lead character. Although it's really an ensemble, like she is the main character, yeah. but it's... It's, it's interesting because it's sort of the opposite of what happened with um, The Force Awakens. Because The Force Awakens, they were like... They they did promote Ray, but they were kind of emphasizing the idea that Finn was the main character. And when you actually watch the film, they're clearly kind of 50-50. If not her being if the If not main her character. being the protagonist, because she gets the Skywalker role. Yeah. Um, whereas in this, they were heavily promoting this idea of Jin being the protagonist. And they're like, it's the first film with a female protagonist. And everyone's like, it's, it's definitely not that, because that was The Force <laughs> Awakens. 
But from that, you'd kind of assume that Diego Luna's character, the um, rebel intelligence agent, was just part of the team. But he is, I would say, the secondary lead, right? Yeah. And then there was like seven or eight other characters who are supporting characters. And also, they promote the main team, obviously, as the main characters. But when I was watching the movie, there were like five or six just random Rebel Alliance soldiers and kind of generals and stuff who were like all white guys. Who who were like, I did not think were even in the film beforehand because they weren't featured in the trailers. But I was like, they are getting the same amount of screen time as like Riz Ahmed. But they're just not characters so they they're just ex- yeah. exposition devices yeah <laughs> so, but that um, kind of feeds into something that people on the internet have been talking about which is the gender breakdown of this movie which is bad it's this kind of peculiar situation where they've done one of the most racially diverse hollywood movies i've ever seen better than fast and furious which is probably the high point for mainstream hollywood blockbusters and it like really adds a lot because it finally feels like it's kind of a universe of people from different planets people have different accents and it's also great from like representation point of view. But this franchise still has never had a woman of colour in the lead role. And the kind of sexism of the background casting is really obvious compared to The Force Awakens. Because they had female extras and side characters. And in this, every extra was a man to the point where I was like, what happened? There are some There are some women. Yeah, yeah, there are definitely women in the there's background. There's like five women. But... <laughs> No, because a friend of mine had read your article and then went and watched it and was like, there are way more women than she said. So there are more, I think. But it's definitely fewer than in The Force Awakens. There are some pilots, although not as many as you would hope. The pilot situation. Um, Did I tell you about the pilots? No. Okay, so what happened with the pilots is they're pilots from the original trilogy who they filmed a couple of female pilots for the original trilogy and then they were edited out in post-production. So there were never any female X-Wing pilots until Force Awakens, but they were technically there in the like unaired canon. (laughs) So they kind of reintegrated them back into this and people were like, it's so exciting. And I'm like, 50% of me is like, that's really exciting. The other 50% is like, you could have just made so many secondary characters in this movie women. Because like, in in actuality, it's basically like a couple of women in planes with one line of dialogue each. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was more all the um, Alliance soldiers are men. All of them. In a really weird way. And they had, there's like a couple shots of Diego Luna when he's saying to Felicity Jones, like, we're going to come help you on your suicide mission. And he's standing and it's like a medium shot and he's standing in front of a massive crowd <laughs> of men who don't look physically identical, but because of the way they're dressed and sort of presented, have this aura of being the same. And I just thought, this is odd. <laughs> it's, it's odd in the okay. context of Star Wars because it's sort of the antithesis of the way that Star Wars background costumes and characters always work because... Every single individual extra is a character. They kind of did that by accident in the first movies because they just had really amazing production design. But then afterwards they realized they could literally sell an action figure of every single extra. So yeah. like that's what it's like in the later films. And then in this, it was like, there's a lot of people in this film who are like action movie man army extras and it is really noticeable. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And it's also unfortunate that Felicity Jones is bad. So um, listeners, just as a warning... Morgan hates Felicity Jones. I don't hate her as a <laughs> not person. As, not as a person. <laughs> I'm sure she's very nice. She seems very pleasant in her interviews. However, in most of the things I've seen her in, she has not been good or persuasive. I do not recommend her film like crazy, which made me offended, not because of any political reason, but because it was so aesthetically just bad <laughs> that I was just 
on a deep level just mad. And then also in the theory of everything, I can't remember who said this, but it it was a series of wigs. Her performance, like you could just tell that it was just wigs upon wigs. <laughs> yeah, I think um, that description is actually one of the many reasons I ended up not seeing that film, which I already was not enthused about. Yeah, because... I mean, it's not especially good, but... Eddie Redmayne is excellent in it. Like, I was not offended by him winning an Oscar. He was great. And she, by contrast, is just, like, you don't believe for a second that she's getting older with him. She just looks like she has a new wig every time they sort of jump time. And so when they cast her in this, I was like, oh, my God. Like, why are you? No. And I don't really understand why, because... She's supposed to be this person who has been sort of living as a criminal, although then they cut that, which I will come back to in a moment. But it's just completely implausible that she's been living on the run. She is a posh English person, and that's kind of how she comes across. Like, she, it, she doesn't, it, it just doesn't work. But she doesn't come across on a character perspective, she doesn't come across characteristically as scruffy. And it's interesting to compare her to Daisy Ridley, who also has a kind of ethereal presence, which works for that character. It's kind of what she's supposed to be like. But you also get the sense that if necessary, like she could beat somebody up. Yeah. And also like Um, Daisy Ridley's physical acting is so astonishing because like there's just so many scenes in The Force Awakens where she just seems poorly socialized or chewing with her mouth open or... Yeah, you know, the way that she fights with people and like she, she's got like reactions to stuff which just make it really clear that she's not being parented and that sort of thing and her performance is just so intense whereas in this I was really impressed by either Felicity Jones or her stunt women because they clearly gone to quite an effort to make her really agile so there was like some cool types of fight sequences that you don't really see in other parts of the franchise but characterization wise the writing and editing kind of did a disservice to that character and Felicity Jones There were no points in the movie where I was like, this is bad acting, but none of it really won me over in the same way that I got from all of the main characters in The Force Awakens and from Cassian Andor, like the secondary hero in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think she was really miscast and I don't like her as an actress, but I also don't think it was her fault because the writing on that character was so abysmal that I don't know. I mean, maybe a truly amazing actress could have saved it. I think a truly amazing actress would have done better, but I don't know that it could have been totally salvaged. I mean, the opening scene of the movie is sort of giving the childhood backstory of, you know, the parents getting taken away and this is why she is where she is now. Which was like a great moment where, despite my endless undying passion for Maz Mikkelsen, why not just have her mother be the one who's an engineer and have Maz Mikkelsen die, like for once in the history of cinema? (laughs) That would be silly. That would be silly. But then... What happens next is this bizarre sequence of short scenes that jump from, like, various planet to planet without really explaining. I mean, they have title cards saying where you are, but no one can follow that. So it's not really clear, like, what is going on or where you are. And they introduce, like, four characters in a row. And... You it's kind it's of chronologically just, muddled because you yeah. go... I don't think they give you a date stamp because, like, obviously you can tell, right, that, like, time has passed and it's the future then, because, like, you go from her as a child to her as, like, you know, like a 28-year-old or however old she's meant to be, but they definitely had some kind of material in between where it was, like, her upbringing. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna, I think we're gonna probably talk about kind of the reshoots and editing situation for this now, but, like, 
you know, the idea of her backstory is that there's like a long period between the death of her parents and the present day when he, she was brought up by Forrest Whitaker's character Saw Gerrera, who is this kind of, he began as sort of like a rebel, like guerrilla fighter and basically became an extremist and went much further than the others. And he's clearly kind of, you know, he's been sent mad by war basically. And when she was 16, he set her loose. So that was her formative years. But they kind of tell us that, but there's only like one or two moments where that even makes sense. And the only point where I had to actually use that explanation to like legitimize a really big turning point because when she goes from being kind of apathetic and sulky to being really inspired after the death of her father, I'm like, this makes sense because she's suddenly like, I need to defend my father's legacy and stuff. But the fact that she can do this like incredible firebrand speech that inspires the troops out of nowhere, the only way I can legitimize that is if she's had Saw Guerrera giving these speeches to her for years and she's kind of, you know, she's got it in her head and she can just repeat this stuff back. But she uses a line of dialogue that was given to her earlier by Diego Luna. Um, so she's kind of like, it's not really coming from her, it's coming from the influences of men in her life. And it also seems very abrupt that she's suddenly able to be so inspirational when that's not really her role before. So <laughs> basically her characterization needs work. <laughs> well, the thing is that they don't establish right off the bat, which is what you are supposed to do in a film, but particularly in a blockbuster, which is tend to be, you know, very standard screenwriting exercises. Um, what is motivating her and what she wants. So obviously you get like, okay, her mom is dead and her dad is gone. Like, okay, done. That's a basic thing that we now know. But like, what is her deal? What, what does she want out of life? Like, what is driving her? We have no idea. Like, we don't know. And so she gets captured by the Alliance because they want the plant, the pilot plants, the Death Star, Saul Guerrero, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's, they also don't present that in a way that's immediately clear. Like, it's very muddled. But she kind of doesn't want anything to do with it. But there's, they do a very bad job of explaining why that is. And then when she changes her mind, you don't have enough information about her to sort of get that either. And all throughout the thing, her basically her only trait is like that she has this father who is important. Like that's her personality. Yeah. Is that she has a dad, which is not great. Like that's not super interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's also really clear to me that that's one of the victims of the reshoot situation mm-hmm. because months and months ago when they started promoting the film and were kind of describing the characters, her pitch was that she was kind of a street rat. Like she'd grown up as a petty criminal in the city. And so it would make sense for her story in the introduction to this to be, you know, the equivalent of that really amazing introductory sequence you get for Ray, where you see her surviving as a scavenger in the desert. But with Jin, it would be her being like a pickpocket and just living this shitty life in the city and basically trying to ignore the war around her because her entire youth was like ruined by war. So she's just trying to, she's like deadened by it, which is a really good backstory. And I'm pretty sure is what they originally planned. And then the only part of that you really see at all is that she's introduced as an adult in a prison. And because of the way that her prison cell is shot, it's not even immediately obvious that she's in jail because she's in like a kind of a dormitory room that she's sharing with someone else. So you're like, is it a spaceship? And then you see that there's guards outside and you're like, oh, okay, there's guards. So she's in prison. In the trailer, like one of the early trailers, she's introduced with a Rebel Alliance courtroom and then they reel off all of her her criminal record, right? So 
that's kind of the key issue that a lot of people were discussing before the film came out, which is that a lot of this film was reshot. And at that point, I was very skeptical and I was just like, look, blockbusters get reshot and it doesn't necessarily mean anything bad. Also, for all we know, this could have been like a huge improvement on what they had originally, but this film clearly went through a lot more changes than most movies do. Like, yes. it's not a matter of there being like, oh, hey, there's like one shot that was in the trailer that isn't the movie. There are significant plot relevant changes that you can tell immediately from watching the trailer and then watching the film. And one of them was like, you know, they, they cut out this backstory and also towards the end. So I was not really paying close attention to this because I kind of felt it pointless and potentially spoilery to be like checking trailers before the movie to see if there was anything I would recognize. But there was one kind of promotional shot that was in several trailers and was on one of the posters that was, it's like Jin and Cassian running on the beach at the tropical planet Scarif. And she's holding the thing that's like a hard drive with the Death Star plans in it. And obviously I didn't recognize that from the poster, but when you get into the film and you finally see her stealing this thing, I recognized it because I'd seen it so many times. Um, and like obviously that's not like the kind of the natural audience reaction for most people like most people are not massive fucking nerds I was watching this and I was like they must have cut the whole of the end of the film and reshot it because the film ends with them basically going up the tower they get to hard drive then Jin puts the hard drive into the thing and then beams up and uh, the villain Orson Krennic shows up and they have like a little standoff and then Cassian shoots him and he dies so that all takes place at the top of the tower, but then there was clearly a scene, a sequence shot that had Cassian and Jen running across the beach, I think possibly with the robot guy and also Krennic on the beach. So they must have taken out the tower and had to like make this sequence happen somewhere else or something. So they changed that whole ending. They must have changed some stuff to do with her backstory. There's clearly a lot of kind of editing happened with the side characters because they're quite minimal yeah, a so, friend of mine was theorizing that Cassian had actually tried to kill Mads Mikkelsen's character because that whole sequence is like kind of redundant and goes on for a long time. And then he doesn't do anything. And I mean, I thought that was relevant because it was like the moral kind of personal turning point for him being you know him doing something right instead of just doing something bad yeah no it winds up working but i could very easily see that having been a thing that they would have thought was too dark i Um, mean i think it would be too dark right i mean i personally would enjoy him killing mads mickelson and then making the main character extremely miserable and hate him but you can't have like a functional oh not like actually doing it but like almost doing it and then being stopped as opposed to deciding of his own volition and just sitting up there for like 10 minutes and then being like actually no i'm not going to (laughs) i mean i i really um, i really enjoyed cassian's character progression that was like by far my favorite kind of oh he's the most coherent person by far in the movie which is what made hilarious that the uh hollywood reporter view as everyone on twitter has been commenting was like there's no strong male (laughs) character in this movie uh to balance out the female lead and everyone was like i'm going to die it was like so racist (laughs) it was just like there is no first of all as we mentioned there's a lot of men in this film and they all are like really cool but also cassian andor is like a really interesting and cool protagonist that of the type that you haven't really seen in the other films because you know they have to be either sort of like wryly morally ambiguous or just like good people 
And he's just like, war is hell and I've been turned into a monster because I have to do necessary murders. And he's very sad-eyed about it. And it's amazing. He's a sad murderer. And he has like a really cute, fluffy jacket. And I'm like, the combination of factors you've got going on in here is just, it's doing a lot for me. (laughs) But no. Oh my God. Just amazing. The whole thing. Yeah, Diego Luna... A plus, A plus job <laughs> in this film. And even his characterization also like could have been much better. They show like one murder he does at the beginning and then like don't really actually discuss the, like he has one great scene after um Galen dies where he's talking to Jin and it's basically like don't talk to me about your moral bullshit, please. You're a child, which is the best scene in the movie by far, and actually written. I mean, it's not like deep poetry, but it's written like human speech, um, which is nice. It's a there plus. was there was quite a lot of. I mean, we haven't mentioned this yet, but there was quite a lot of my worst bugbear in Hollywood movies, which is exposition, like really obvious exposition. Oh my god! The first third of the film, maybe the first half, almost every line was people just saying who they were and what their role was just describing what was happening which is really strange to me and I, I'm sure like I'm almost sure that's something where they were like given a note and they were like this is too confusing and you need to because that's usually yeah. why exposition happens unless it's like a really garbage writer they've been told by some studio executive that there needs to be better explanation and I wonder if that's kind of caused by a sort of general I guess Lucasfilm concern that people won't be able to follow something that isn't immediately obvious as part of the Star Wars series which I don't really buy into. Like, I think people aren't idiots. Like, they can figure out what's happening in a film. But it because it's so kind of... It's so, like, miserable and dark in a really good way, um, that makes exposition harder because you can't do the fun heist movie thing where you're, like, having people bantering back and forth while they explain. It's just, like, two people, like, in a dark room about to go and maybe die explaining to each other what's <laughs> happening, right? And it's just, like, this is not working, really. No. Um, and also, like, in Star Wars, where every other aspect of the world building is so great because they focus so much on costume and production design that you can immediately be like, yeah, this is definitely a real planet. The fact that they ended up having to resort to some pretty kind of boring dialogue is sad to me. <laughs> well, also, Matt Mickelson, one of his three scenes is him as a hologram just doing a like five minute exposition dump explaining the entire <laughs> plot. And I was like, if your plot hinges on a hologram of a man explaining it so that we understand, that's not good. Like that, mm, no, that's not helpful at all. And I feel like that kind of sums up the whole issue with the movie, which is that a lot of the action is really engaging. But what is actually driving it doesn't really make any kind of logical sense in terms of being motivated by psychological character stuff or even logic. So, like, again, that is sort of... So Rizumet has flown this thing out from the Empire and they're trying to find it. And that also feels like something that might have been cut because we don't see Riz Ahmed and... Maz Mikkelsen together. I mean, obviously they talk about the fact that they knew each other. Galen Erso obviously gave him the information, but I think it's probably a little hard to piece together for many people. Like if you watch that film, it's going to take a while for you to make the connection between those two characters. Yes. Yeah. But to have so much of like what is now going to happen 
rely on just someone explaining something and then be like, oh, now we have to do X, Y, and Z. That's not really yeah. good storytelling yeah. because it should be coming from people interacting with each other. And there's and not a lot of that. And also is the first Star Wars movie where they're not following the hero's journey. Yes. And they yes. could have done that like on a micro level with Jin. They could have just had Jin on a personal level going through the hero's journey, which was like, I guess, kind of what they were trying to do, but like with literally like two steps. So it was like, you can't do that. Right. It was not <laughs> but, um, successful. Because the rest of it is like basically the idea of a heist movie or I guess the type of war movie where there's like a really specific mission that you have to drop in and save Private Ryan or whatever. But it didn't clarify stuff enough. Yes. And also like, just in that vein, the scene where someone, and by someone I mean almost certainly Gareth Edwards because he loves the tentacles, felt the need to have a tent. I mean, I'm not dissing the tentacle scene, but like there's a tentacle scene and I was like, wow, this is some impressive tentacle situation they've got to interrogate Razamet's character. And then it like doesn't go anywhere because they're talking about how it's going to like send him mad. And then he's a bit sad for like one scene later. And then there's like no effect after that. And I'm like, I feel like there probably was something that was meant to happen for this, but. And that also presumably got cut. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there was definitely a scene they shot with, Jin Erso and Saw Gerrera together on the planet having like a fight scene kind of in the desert outside the bunker and like I realize this this is like the kind of conversation I usually hate to see which is people talking about the film that doesn't actually exist right when it's like oh they shot something and it didn't go in and this is like the first movie where I really felt like that was a significant part of the story yeah. of the film because there's just so much that is like really openly obvious that they didn't put in and it's like I would have benefited from knowing what Sagarera and Jen Erso's relationship was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes you can tell that a film has been Oh no, I mean you can tell with... that you can't I mean, you can tell with a lot of films, like especially kind of big Hollywood blockbusters, because there's like a gap where clearly someone's character development was meant to be. Yeah. But with this, it's like because there was material that was in trailers and like they were advertising yeah. a slightly different film, it's it's a great deal more obvious. Yeah. I mean, this and Batman v Superman, I would say, were the two like most extreme. I mean, they released the Batman v Superman director's cut. And while I personally so you could, did not you watch could it. figure out yeah, where all I've the nonsense was. I've heard that apparently it, didn't, it doesn't help. Because I know, I, I've heard that you can follow the plot if you watch it. This is what I've been told from critics on Twitter. I guess it doesn't help. Maybe it isn't the same as you can follow the plot. <laughs> oh, no. I've not heard that it's good. I have Just not like, heard that it's a good film. Yeah. But if you watch that, I remember watching it and thinking, wow, this got torn to pieces in the editing room because there's a bunch of stuff in that movie, as we have discussed, that literally you'll be like, someone has gotten across the city and I don't know how it happened. And it's like relevant that they're now in a different place. I have no sympathy because that film was seven hours long. Oh, no, I don't either. You can't make like a three and a half hour movie for a blockbuster that's supposed to be two hours long. But I think it's interesting that there was a version that coherently made sense, right? And then it got ripped apart. Especially when from um, a narrative perspective. Not to get too into the film that we're not reviewing, but uh, there was not a great deal of material in that movie. Right. They could have made it two hours long. <laughs> right. It's fascinating. Whereas this feels like a different situation yeah, because they clearly were like unique. pasting things on top of it. Um, I mean, it's like there's not a lot of kind of studio organizations that have kind of the capacity to make this drastic a change because usually it's sort of a matter of kind of something's been sent to test test screening and they have to like quickly reshoot something or whatever you know like all of the marvel movies reshoot for like two weeks for completely everyday reasons or they want to film like an alternate scene and in this you have to have infrastructure (laughs) bring in all those people and be we're gonna like rejig the whole of this planetary scene or whatever yeah but also i suspect my theory is that the 
the director's cut, if you will, is probably a better movie. I don't know that. But I would we strongly... Yeah, we will never know. I don't think they release directors. They don't release directors. Oh, God. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, but I, I would bet that the sort of studio notes messing with this probably didn't help. I mean, I don't think the original... Like, the whatever he wanted to do would have been perfect either, whatever obviously. But like, script. Yeah. I mean, the script clearly was not, like, great. But... It seems like all the messing around probably wasn't. It's quite strange because in in my experience of attempting to read the tea leaves of weird Hollywood mishaps, I actually have like a lot of respect for the Lucasfilm people um, in terms of like what they're attempting in their favor. Pretty good that all the people who are working for a studio are not white men, even though that's obviously who's directing it. But like, there is like a very large creative team, kind of like the writers' room for TV show that like builds the extended universe behind it, and it's all very cohesive. And they also have like a really quite accurate idea of combining what fans think they want with what would actually improve the narrative yeah. in a general sense. And so I'm not gonna like dump on this movie, you know? <laughs> well, because but I my sense is that like he was talking about all the stuff, but like I want to you can make a war movie. Yeah. And then they were like, we're shoot reshooting a bunch of this stuff yeah. with like a less interesting director. Which always makes me suspicious. Well, like that, I mean, he probably uh, made stuff that was like really intensive battle scenes. Because, oh, I, yeah. I understand, but I think it was probably better. You know, a lot of the kind of stuff that we were hearing early on, which I was really excited about. You know, he set up like this entire battle scene. That I'm assuming must have been the thing that happened on the beach that got cut with him sort of running around in this giant set full of people where every single character and cameraman were all characters in the battle so they could just do a 360 which is insane yes <laughs> um but like i don't feel like i saw that in the eventual movie i don't no. think there was so i guess most of that must have got removed but they did definitely say this is a war film which is thematically in the sense that i think we're going to get to now in that everyone died which we yeah. were hyped about super hyped great <laughs> well i like Despite all of my criticisms, I actually quite enjoyed watching this, especially after the first I'm third. I'm really, really maybe? keen to rewatch this movie. Yeah, I, like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I love every character. I need to do some research for my fanfic. <laughs> I need to have a look at people in the background. I will just ignore the handful of scenes where I think side characters are giving poor performances or people are explaining stuff too much because I love Cassie Nando a lot. <laughs> I love Bays and Chirrut, and I love that they all die. It's great. It's It's really great. Well, once all the side characters sort of, or like supporting characters, I should say, sort of appear on the scene, and it's not just Felicity Jones anymore, the movie improves by a factor of like 15. Gets way, way better. And everyone Um, loves a team movie. Yes. And uh, it sort of becomes apparent as you keep watching that it's going to get darker and darker. And then they started killing people, and I was like, great, people are dying. (laughs) And then it sort of began to dawn on me that they weren't just killing people, they were killing everyone. And I was like, (laughs) yes! like, (laughs) Because my number one complaint with Hollywood blockbusters... And mine also. Yes, we have discussed this before, is that they never fucking kill anyone. I hate this. It makes me so mad. Because... All of these plots are like, the world is going to end. 
there's a MacGuffin and it's going to blow the universe apart. And oh my God, we have to stop it. But also no one is going to get hurt or die except for everyone in this skyscraper because we've all signed contracts for six movies and so no one could get out of those. So there's actually no risk to anyone. But the world might end. And it's just like, obviously the world is not going to end. And also... None of you are going to die. So, like, who who cares? And this is, like, like, the perfect uh, twist of that. Because, like, obviously, most of the audience is going into this with at least a vague understanding of the next Star Wars film is going to happen and then they're going to blow up the Death Star. And they've got that in the bag. It's sort of like the TV show Hannibal where everyone's like, well, we know who the the cannibal is. (laughs) You know? (laughs) But um, where is this? You know, the great cool surprise is that everyone died. And I was really happy for... I mean, I think, obviously, like, Baze and Chirrut got the best deaths. Second best deaths went to the leading two. Just some sad hugging while they're about to be blown apart by, like, a nuclear warhead kind of metaphor cloud. Fantastic. Great. And also very appropriate because the first Star Wars is the only Hollywood movie that actually does blow up the world. Yeah. Which I always refer back to when they're all like, "We the world might explode. And like the only time that has ever been done in like a blockbuster is the first Star Wars, where it's just casually like, and now we've blown up your planet. And they don't really deal with like the emotional fallout of that. But yeah. I think it's quite ballsy to like lead with that, right? Be like, yep, we're so evil, we might blow up I'm, Earth, I'm interested basically. to hear what the kind of new definitive viewing order is. Yeah. Um, because when I rewatched all of the films uh, last year, I just watched them one to six. And then watch oh. The Force Awakens when it came out. Really enjoyed it. I found it like a really interesting experience. Like even though obviously, I guess it was film number two, it's like hell on earth. Really interesting from like a world building perspective. And I'm very glad I did it and I will do it again. But now, do you put Rogue One in the middle? Do you watch Rogue One first? Then four, five, six, one, two, three, seven. There are so many options. I vote four, five, six first because... The idea, and I know this is, you know, everyone has strong opinions about this, but the idea of watching one, two, three, and then four, five, six is so painful to me. It's just, I feel it's morally and ethically wrong. You see, for me, the bonus of the one, two, three is that if you go one, two, three, film number three ends with you get Jimmy Smits playing uh, Senator Organa adopting Leia. And in this film, you get Jimmy Smits a bit older, hanging out in the background doing his little cameo. And then he's like, well, it's time for me to head back to Alderaan. And then boom, film number four, that person who you fell in love with because he seems like a nice man, dead. <laughs> Much more satisfying when you know someone who's dead. <laughs> because in that film, it's great, but it's like, as many people have remarked, it's very bad that that planet died, but like you never meet any of the individuals who are all from yes. the planet apart from Leia. And yes. they don't really lean into like Leia's sadness. Yeah, but because she's a girl, so well, it doesn't matter. Can't, can't have everything. Yeah, but like, <laughs> we should say the it does the movie does sort of suffer from prequelitis a bit. I feel in that there are a number of things that are kind of like side conversations where we have to mention this character whose <laughs> name you've yes. never oh, heard God. unless you've read all of these books and or seen these films five times. I was like, I know that this is a reference to something, but so, I don't There was care. one cameo like, I'm very glad I didn't recognize, right? Because like, actually, while I was recording my workplace podcast about this, <laughs> um, one of my co-workers was like, there was a scene when they're on Jeddak, when they're kind of walking through the city. 
and they kind of bump into a couple of guys and there's like a little bit of a like 10 second standoff. And apparently that's the same guy who like bumps into Hansel in a bar in the next film. That is the dumbest fucking cameo I've ever heard. <laughs> that is not necessary. We do not need to have the guy who bumps into people in two movies. No. Because like I, I love little background world building details like Star Wars is by far the most detailed franchise and they're really really good at having people in the background that you can then flesh out in comics but it's so cheap to have the cameo for no. someone I mean even to be honest like even stuff like the the X-Wing pilots because like when I was talking about how few women extras there were in this people were kind of pointing out obviously it's more authentic to the original trilogy if you have almost all of the pilots be white men and I'm like no, you can just have anyone be the pilot. You can have an entire squadron of black women. And admittedly, you would probably have to kill a lot of them and that would not be a great look for your film. But you could have them survive and just, you know, they're off doing a different mission when everyone else is doing the Death Star. For this film, they invent a special type of stormtrooper that are like super deadly. The Death Troopers, they've got special armor and they're like the black ops unit of stormtroopers never appears any time later in the franchise, right? right? So if you, can, if you can invent all these super cool like empire gadgets that are, you know, mysteriously very easily defeated in this film then you can also just have people in the film who aren't the random bunch of 1970s mustachioed white guys who drive the planes right yes minor bugbear but i feel like that kind of canonical accuracy is not necessary (laughs) no i would agree with that yeah and it's just i think that for all the sort of how much this has been touted is like oh it's a standalone which obviously it is in many ways it's so laboriously tied to that movie in some ways that work and in some ways that I felt were just like trying too hard. And I kind of was wondering whether for a person who hasn't seen that film, and obviously like everyone has seen Star Wars, but I always feel like that should in a way be the standard for whether like a piece of art works. I was like, wow, there's a ton of shit that you could would just have no <laughs> idea what is happening at all like it's kind of the the use of shorthand but in a way that like sort of to contradict what we were saying earlier like you don't want everything to be explained but also the way you sort of use shorthand has to be in a way that conveys to the audience what you're talking about without being alienating yeah if that makes sense it must be so hard to be like working for lucasfilm and imagine what it's like to be someone who has no knowledge of Star Wars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I can't imagine. audiences, they must have to quiz about this because, I mean, it's hard for me and I'm not even like the huge star. I mean, I love Star Wars, but like I'm not immersed in Star Wars. But for someone whose job is Star Wars and has to like memorize Encyclopedia to then make this film about an extremely specific historical time period and then be like, we're going to introduce 11 new characters to you. <laughs> yeah. But it was like interesting to compare to The Force Awakens, which is obviously a direct sequel. Like it's a sequel. They're not attempting to pretend like it's a totally new thing. And it would make, I imagine, not a ton of sense if you haven't seen those movies. But I think that would actually I think be... emotionally it makes sense. Exactly. You could watch that movie without having seen any of them and you would be confused. But all the character arcs are so coherent that I think you could be like, well, I don't fully get what's going on. But like these people are very engaging. The actors are good this is fun like sure why not i mean i i'd be really interested to see the response from someone watching rogue one as their introduction to star wars and then kind of proceeding through the series because uh kathleen kennedy the one the woman who's basically in charge of star wars now um was kind of talking about this as like you know it's like a really great starting point for new fans like obviously they're kind of going to say that because they want new people to watch the franchise but 
Um, like chronologically, I can definitely see how it works because it really pinpoints how the mood would be before episode four. And it does really emphasize why the title A New Hope works because you do get this kind of fresh injection of youthful charm with Luke and Leia and they're all really energetic and it really feels exciting because like you now understand more about what the world was like before the Jedi came back but at the same time like if you watch Rogue One first you're going to be like this is a kind of Hunger Games style grim franchise and then you're going to watch the next film and it's like the main character is a whiny mall rat teenager right. and it's about him learning how to use a sword right. <laughs> in the best possible way but like totally it's going to be a massive change yes I also I don't think it would make a ton of sense I think they're they're so heavily dependent on having knowing what happens in episode four. Yeah, yeah, which like is fine, but I think it does bog the movie down from doing something more interesting. And I would, if they're gonna keep doing these like standalone in quotes movies, because the other ones are all about fucking like Han Solo and Boba Fett, like they're not. Oh my god, standalones. Like Han Solo's the worst idea. His character development happens in the trilogy. Yeah, you're I... gonna have to do a pre-character development story. <laughs> Uh, also why bother with the fucking cgi people why what i can't believe we haven't discussed this you know what? i just feel like the tone of this podcast has been so negative and it's like we like we like this film and i'm going to rewatch it but i mean cgi moff tarkin was unnecessary he did not even need to be in the film and they could recast him but cgi leia my god like (laughs) this is back to the thing is like the sort of fetishistic devotion to like, we have to keep it all the same. It's like, you, but you don't, though. It's fine. It's really okay. You can you can cast a different also, actor. Peter Cushing is so distinctive, and it's also really creepy because he's dead. They have resurrected dead man <laughs> <laughs> to have a weird, where it's like he's almost convincing, but his but mouth is totally not. Well, no, exactly. That's the point because almost is the worst because right. it's, it's the uncanny valley. He's like the definition of the uncanny valley. And it's not, it's a character people like, but it's not like people are going to watch the Death Star and be like, well, where was Moff Tarkin? It's like, he was on vacation. Or there was another guy in charge of the Death Star during the building stages six months before Moff Tarkin shows up. It doesn't fucking matter. I had no, I mean, I knew, I had sort of seen that there was a, that they had done this with someone. But I think I tweeted about it because I was like, this is, any CGI characters are a nightmare. Right. But... I don't remember that character. I haven't seen these movies in a while. Most people are not going to be like, man, they fucked that one up by not having that character around. No. Like, it doesn't I completely matter. Agree. The only reason I know that character's name is because um, in the Princess Diaries novels, uh, <laughs> Nia Thermopolis writes a love poem to her boyfriend who's a Star Wars fan, and it has the line, soon we'll be parking before the Grand Moff Tarkin. That's and beautiful. that is the only reason I remember his name. I had to look up Mon Mothma's name like eight times while writing about <laughs> this movie. She's the kind of leader of the Rebel Alliance Council because she is another character who is in kind of, she has a secondary role and then is not really a major character, but she's someone that like fans remember. Having her in this movie was fine because there's an actress who looks just like her who has played her before and is good casting. And it's nice to have someone who is like another woman in the film. But like Moff Tarkin? 
And then what? Yeah, and it's a great actor who you're trying to resurrect through CGI. Don't do it. Also, and yeah, then when they do Leia, it's just fucking creepy. And then I keep seeing all these articles that are like, "What does this mean for the future of Hollywood?" And I was like, "Well, given the fact that everyone has agreed this was the worst thing in the movie, perhaps it means don't do this again." That would be my suggestion. Um, and it's mm. so peculiar considering the legacy of kind of fan backlash in Star Wars against CGI, because obviously almost every scene in this movie has CGI. But there was a very big difference between getting the correct light refraction of, of a bulkhead and yeah. having like a human realistic face because, you know, the practical effects everyone loved in The Force Awakens and they correctly were like advertising it really heavily, like we're not like the prequels. And then in this, they were like, it's probably fine for us to just like super glue a young person's face over an old person's face in this movie <laughs> for a completely unnecessary scene that you could have just had Carrie Fisher's voice and then a hand holding the hyperdrive. <laughs> that would have been fine. Yep. Sorry, the hand yeah. holding the... Yes. Yeah, yeah it, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Don't do that anymore. That's my suggestion. Make a make a prequel series about Cassian being really sad. <laughs> make, a, make a prequel series with the general tone of a John the Carey novel. Yeah. With Cassian stuff. playing a character who, if this was a real world story, would probably be an alcoholic. But because it's Star Wars, he isn't. He's just very sad. Um, and also a Bays and Chirrut backstory movie because I love them. Yes, I think Donnie Yen stuff. is a very wonderful, funny man. His his first his sort of martial fight arts scene. stuff is great. Oh, so good! Oh my god, so good! It was. I just yeah, the fight. I don't know who did the fight choreography for this actually. Um, I imagine he probably had quite a lot of input into whatever he was doing. Yeah. But um, there was actually we can link to it in the show notes. There was a really interesting article by someone or other who kind of talks about the fight choreography differences between the two halves of the two trilogies so in the original trilogy of star wars the lightsaber battles are all kind of very stage fighting-y and they're quite they're not slow but they're kind of stately and epic and it's this like important old-fashioned sword fight and then for the prequel trilogy they don't really serve an emotional purpose in the plot all the time and also it's like very high energy like people swinging around on ropes heavily influenced by really high tech kung fu movie type movies but without necessarily like the same treatment of treating it as sort of like a dance sequence yeah so it's impressive but maybe a little bit hollow which is also the case for a lot of a lot of the situations with visual effects type stuff in the prequel trilogy but there was like two really distinctive periods and then with the new film um the force awakens they are kind of minimal with the so with the uh lightsaber battles and it's really interesting because the way they have like a really specific characterization for Ray's fighting, which is that like she has some skills with the like, quarterstaff thing, but she's basically working on kind of raw power. Yeah. Um, and then you have Kylo Ren, who's kind of got a fair amount of training, but his lightsaber's really unstable because he's got this bad connection to the force and he fucked up his like little lightsaber DIY kit. Um, <laughs> and in this film, because you don't really have lightsaber battles, you have lots of really interesting hand-to-hand combat because you don't really see people punching each other unless it's like Han Solo hauling off and having like a bar fight, right? So you have Jyn Erso who actually can really fight in like close combat in a kind of cool way that really made it obvious that she had to take care of herself for years. And you have Cassian Andor just like straight up murdering people, which as I've said about 11 times this podcast, loved it. Yes. <laughs> um, and then you have like the amazing Chirrut Way like Donnie Yen situation with his enormous staff thing that he uses to take out zillions of stormtroopers. And it's got really great color palette because he's wearing his distinctive red and black robe kind of situation. And they've got all the white stormtroopers and Baze Malbus in the background watching out with 
What I know is a repeater cannon, because that's in all of the marketing information <laughs> for that character. But watching the film, I'm sure many people did not know his name, never mind the brand of his repeater cannon. No, <laughs> no, I did not. Although I thought he was excellent. I enjoyed mm. him very much. Very um, funny. Cute yes. old guys. Yes. Loved them. <laughs> yes. Loved them. Um, but it was interesting that like I totally enjoyed watching this mm. again after sort of the first chunk where I was like, mm. I never completely got deep into it but I definitely enjoyed it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the direction, which I found generally quite good, especially the action stuff. And just the ballsiness. Man, kill people. That's yeah. great. And it was interesting. I def- I saw some people who really didn't like the movie reacting with a kind of like, this isn't Star Wars, right? Like Star Wars is fun. And, you know. I mean, it- you just had The Force Awakens. Right. And I felt it's nice like, to have some variety, and also it yeah. works because this is the period when everything was really shit in the Star Wars universe, and not everyone can be a member of the Skywalker royal legacy. Right? <laughs> some people just get ground under the booted heel of fascism, and that's what this movie is about. Yeah, although the political stuff is not super coherent. I sort of get the point, and I liked The Force Awakens obviously a lot more, and I think the fact that it was so sort of nice (laughs) and made you feel good was really sort of a pleasant change of pace because I think the blockbusters have not done that much Mm. recently. And also like in a emotionally intelligent way. Yes. Like there's, there's obviously a lot of blockbusters where it's sort of like, you know, high five at the end. Right. But like there's such a kind of energy to the force awakens. And yeah. they didn't have this, that, and this. And that was on purpose. And I really enjoyed the contrast. Right. Whereas some, like, Marvel and DC, right? They have their, like, Marvel is like this. And DC is like this. And this is how we're going to do our movies. And they're all the same. And I feel like that's so boring. And obviously, we've talked about this endlessly. But, like, it's just so creatively stifling and deadening. And we'll see if Star Wars winds up like that. But I think it would be much better if they were more distinctive in what they do. And if they are going to insist on doing these sort of like standalone films, particularly with those, like just do whatever the fuck you want. Mm. Like that seems like so much more interesting to me, especially since they know they can literally do whatever they want and they can sell $155 million worth of tickets on the opening weekend for a movie in which everyone dies. Like, (laughs) great. That's use your power for good. Uh. Like fantastic. For a movie with no famous people, also. Yeah. Right? There was a lot of um, Hollywood media kind of publicity for Felicity Jones's paycheck for this, because it's like a really rare example of where the female lead actually got paid more than the other actors. I have like split opinions on that, because I think it's great when actresses actually are given the opportunity to negotiate for their salaries to be higher and for them to be given more worth. And I'm also like, now having seen the film... Although I guess she's like more famous than Diego Luna. It's like slightly puzzling because I don't feel like Felicity Jones is an actress who anyone goes to the movies to see, right? It's not like she has kind of star power. And obviously Donnie Yen is about 50 billion times more famous than everyone else in this film. (laughs) Uh, And it's kind of like, okay, I mean, sure. Because I guess she's the main character and it makes sense that someone who's the main character gets more money and Diego Luna is maybe less well-known, but also... I bet... It's a great example of intersectionality, you know? Race and gender playing into different things in different ways in Hollywood. Yes. Um, <laughs> Although um, I also suspect that in the screenplay, she was more the main character. Yeah. That would be my guess. It's, I think this is probably, probably a film where it's a good idea to, to invest in the novelization. 
Um, yeah. I have not read the novelization, but the impression I've got from people posting quotes on Tumblr is that it's told from the perspective of every single one of the characters. So you get the internal monologue of all mm-hmm. of them. And I think you get kind of quite a lot of backstory kind of stuff that didn't make it into the eventual film. Because obviously they write these things from like a shooting script. So that's probably one to try. Yeah. I personally probably won't read that. What I'm going to be doing is I'm going to buy all of the encyclopedias. <laughs> as I always do. I'm going to get myself a kind of visual dictionary aimed at, I think, 8 to 12 year olds, maybe younger. A lot of pictures. Good. And good, I'm going to read that and then I'm going to rewatch the movie at least once more. Great. Um, you can enjoy Mads Mikkelsen's beautiful death scene, oh which I thought was superb. Love to watch that man die. Um, when will he do a good film? That's what I would like. I mean, I to think this know. this is definitely like this is one of the best movies he's done. That's like people watched. I mean, obviously he's done films. There are films that people yeah. gave prizes to, but um, but as of to, like recently, like I've seen some of those. Yeah, you movies, know, of but course. like the um, recent stuff compared to Doctor Strange, this is clearly, the best film of the year. Clearly, right? <laughs> I mean, actually, it is one of the best blockbusters I saw all year by far. Yeah, like it's such a bad year, <laughs> which is really a sad, sad statement. I mean, next week passengers we have passengers to look forward to we're seeing passengers in two days morgan oh my god we are cannot wait yeah we may do like a mini episode about passengers or something no we're doing we're doing full episode we're doing a full episode about passengers yeah listeners (laughs) uh excuse me gavia i don't know what planet you're living on but we are definitely yeah. Morgan. We is are staying, going in, staying on with this. me over Christmas for, I think what everyone does at Christmas, which is hang out with each other's parents and watch every film that comes out over Christmas. And for us, the two most hotly anticipated are Assassin's Creed, which is clearly going to be the best film of the year, and uh, Passengers, yes. which has been. I would kind of. I, I imagine if the film was like an object, it would be a poop that someone pooped into a toilet <laughs> then put in like a glass tube to take their doctor because they were concerned like I've not read any of the reviews but the headlines alone the quotes I've seen from reviewers posting on Twitter this film is I mean it's two Barbie dolls that don't like each other and don't have genitalia trying to clack together in like a glass box oh my god it's gonna be great yeah I can't I sincerely cannot wait like it looks <laughs> so bad i kind of read a review on them which i hadn't because i found out too much but everything i read was so staggering that i was just like how is this real thing (laughs) what on earth so yeah next episode which will happen as soon as we can because i realize our schedule has been a bit shit but next episode is going to be passengers and then after that probably assassin's creed but at some point in the near future we are going to be doing a podcast all about yuri on ice which is the biggest anime of 2016 one of the biggest kind of media events on the kind of internet fandom scale it's um a 12 episode long series about figure skating um it's also a gay romance it's very good i've now watched it two and a half times the half time being the watching it with morgan yes um and we are going to be doing an episode on that yes so wait for yes. it wait for it, it. Will come. and in the meantime go on a website like Crunchyroll if you've not watched it and watch it because your life will be changed it will really energize you <laughs> probably you've not had a great time over the past few weeks and while obviously this doesn't solve the problems and I am not buying into the idea that you should turn to escapism to solve your problems it's 20 minute episodes so like as a pick me up kind of situation it's a better investment than like becoming a drunk 
Definitely yes. go for that. Watch your own ice instead of drinking. That is Gavia's yes. recommendation. Uh, on that note, I think we will end for the evening. We hope you enjoyed Star Wars. If yes. you want to talk about Star Wars encyclopedias, I'm available on Twitter. <laughs> Hello underscore Taylor. <laughs> Twitter.com. Uh, thank you for listening. As always, uh, if you enjoyed this, please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. That is how we find new listeners. And as always, we are on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, and on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye. Bye.